This is because I want to. Hello, and welcome back to Because I Want To, where we talk about whatever it is we want to. I'm Sarah. I'm Lindsay. And welcome back to the end of February and our last installment of our short series (laughs) on Black History Month. I was thinking we should probably, like, revisit, um, like, notable Black people and women and just, you know, periodically, not just in that month. I'd like to do a notable Native American episode. Right? Although, Mm -hmm. I think um, February is women's history. I mean, March is women's history. So maybe we should do Badass Ladies Part 2. I'd be down. There's so many badass ladies out there to talk about. Right? You know who I want to talk about? I want to talk about Madame Curie. She was really cool. Mm-hmm. She was. But anyway, you got a puppy. My big news is I got a puppy, and today was our first full day together as a family. <laughs> How's he doing? Okay, so he's doing really good. Bean is being very good. Like, surprisingly, like, it's not perfect, but I think, like, as good as you can expect it to be. Yeah, I feel like Bean, in his essence, isn't really, like, another dog dog, kind of like (laughs) London. Like, London Uh likes people more than she likes other dogs. And so it's an adjustment period. Like, I think for, like, a month after I got Moose, London was kind of mad at me. (laughs) I've noticed that Bean just keeps looking at me. He's like, what's (laughs) happening? Like, what is this? And when I really noticed it, like I brought the puppy in last night and they met each other and all that. But when we went to go to bed and I went back to like my bedroom and the puppy was in there, that's when Bean was staring at me like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Who is this stranger? How dare you? (laughs) But yeah, they've been getting along so the puppy is you already know all this but i'll tell the world right now he's three months old the shelter told me he's a corgi mix they think because he came from a like animal hoarder house where there were a bunch of like corgi females so that's what they think Mm -hmm. and it was like a house where they rescued like 50 dogs oh that makes me sad Yeah, like it was someone who was just taking in dogs off the street, but wasn't getting them any like medical attention or spaying or neutering. So they're just having puppies. So can you imagine 50 dogs in one house? No, No, I cannot. (laughs) Yeah. How are there not like dog fights every day? I know. Well, I was thinking about that because they've been okay. And there were only like two moments where I was like, whoa. And one of them was the puppy like crawled into my lap, which is cute. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, but then Mm -hmm. Bean walked by and then he was just standing there and the puppy just started growling at him. Ah, so he's like resource guarding. Yeah, I have to break that. Yeah. So I was like, whoa, I didn't know. But I looked it up and that's like a thing when you bring a puppy home with older dogs. And so, yeah, day one, we'll work on it. But for the most part, Bean tolerates him and he'll growl at him if he gets in his face. But they're getting along. Yeah. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when Moose, when I first got Moose, I used to have to just like walk over and take her food like periodically just whilst she was eating. (laughs) Just be like, this is mine now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, just to break it. Moose was a pup. Was Moose a puppy when you got her? Mm hmm. It's so weird, like adopting a puppy because it's like a stranger and it's like you have to get to know them and their personality. Yeah. And you like don't really know what you're getting. Yeah, like I put peanut butter in a puppy Kong and he didn't want it. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Did worms? Probably. I'm going to have to take him to the vet, but I'm assuming he does because he came from the SPCA, you know. 
Yeah. Remember when I got loose and I was like, she's so calm and <laughs> reserved and not food motivated. <laughs> and then I took her to the vet and she was like riddled with worms. And yeah. when they went away, she became hyperactive, loud, and 100% food motivated. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll have to make an appointment for him next week. But Bean was also riddled with worms. So I think it's just unavoidable if you adopt a puppy mm-hmm. from a shelter. Even like... When they're babies, like, if they're outside, like, they eat fucking everything, so. Yeah, and the um, SPCA guy told me, like, wait until you get away from here to take him out on the grass because people dump their dogs here all the time. So we just treat Mm -hmm. the ground as if it's always infested with parvo, like. Yeah, I mean, that's safe. And for Bean, when I got him, he, like, it took... A while to get rid of all his parasites like several rounds of whatever treatment they gave me <laughs> yeah i still deworm moose like every once in a while because she eats shit yeah bean does i think all dogs do london doesn't <laughs> really london's like not a dog she's like a human in a dog body <laughs> and the gross thing is moose only eats london shit she does <laughs> she's a connoisseur <laughs> won't eat her own shit just london shit i was like i looked up one time why dogs do that and from what i read they don't have the like sense that we have of like good and bad they just have information Mm -hmm. so they just eat shit to get information and it doesn't taste bad necessarily i feel like she's gotten all the information she can get (laughs) from the amount of london shit that she has eaten (laughs) all information has been had Mm -hmm. well have you have a name for him yet not yet i have like two names that I like and so we just need to like decide on one I don't know if I should say them or not until like but I want to I want to know okay (laughs) one of them is and I wonder if you'll like recognize this Fiverr yeah from Watership Down Uh uh-huh and so that's the one I really like because (gasps) I really like that character talking about you (laughs) <laughs> and I really like that book. And Bean is also named after a fictional rabbit, that Muppet. Did is you he? Know that? Yeah. No, I just, <laughs> just his name was Bean. You know who I'm talking about? No. Wait, wait, wait. Like in the Muppets? Have you seen a Muppet Christmas Carol? Not in a long time. I don't know if he's been anything else, but there's one Muppet who's like a really cute rabbit, and his name is Bean. Okay. What's the other name? And then the other one I just kind of thought of today was Joey, because he kind of looks like a little Joey. I like both of those. Mm -hmm. Well, and I like Fiverr. The nickname could be Five, which is, like, kind of cool. I also like, though, with, like, dogs. Like, you really never know what their nickname is going to end up being. Usually it's nothing to do with their name. Mm -hmm. Like, London is London, but I call her Louise. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Louise. (laughs) Can so. I tell you, though, like, I got one of those, like, the little puppy fences that you, like, set up in your house. Mm-hmm. And, like, before we started podcasting, I just got it today, so I'm trying it out. I set it up, like, five feet away from me, and he <laughs> was moving it. Like, he was muscling, <laughs> moving it, inching it towards me. And so I just pulled it over next to me, and then he finally relaxed. Oh, bless him. I wonder how he's going to do when you both have to go to work. Well, we have a dog walker who comes. So I'm going to try out this like puppy fence. And I figure if all if like worse comes to worse, I'll we have like a laundry room and a bathroom and I can put him in there and like close the door. Gotcha. That's always nice. And we have I had like, to pen moose. Yeah. Yeah. When I got Bean when he was a puppy, he I had like a galley kitchen and I put up a little dog gate and that Mm -hmm. worked and then we have a dog walker who will come twice a day so i was always afraid to put moose in like a room because i thought she would just destroy the door yeah because that's how she is (laughs) you just put her would you put her in like a little fence thing 
Yeah, like a huge, really tall metal one. Because she could jump out of the other ones. Yeah, I was looking up ones to buy and I saw pictures of people posting of their puppies like scaling the fence. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? I had to buy like a five foot one. Really? Yeah, and I would just put it, you know where like my bookshelves are, and I'd just put it there during the day and disassemble it when I got home. Uh-huh. Because Moose couldn't be out for like until she was like two when I wasn't home. Because she would, well, yeah, she, like, eats stuff. Uh Uh-huh. She's destructive as shit. I hope yours is not. I hope he's undestructive. I I think he'll be easier than Bean was because I'm, well, Bean was, like, littler when I got in. Bean was, like, two months old. But, like, I remember Bean peeing in the house, like, every 45 minutes. I remember that. This dog will go like, what do I do? I know. I was like, oh my God. It was like a full year before he was house trained, but this dog will hold it for like three or four hours. That's good. Mm -hmm. And you have a yard now, which makes it way less annoying. Yeah. But anything new with you? Um, I acquired an like outside cat, I think. That's fun. Yeah. There's this like little white cat. I think he must belong to somebody because he doesn't look like rough, but he's been like coming to my back door periodically, like just like peering in mm-hmm. when I'm in my kitchen. And I went out last night and he was like sitting on my deck railing. And so <laughs> he didn't run away when he saw the dogs and the dogs came in. And so I was like, wait there. And I ran and got him some food and fed him and he let me pet him and everything. He or probably, her, I don't know. He pro- or it probably does have a family because I've seen TikToks where it's like, this cat I know lives a second life and they come to me every day and they go back to yeah. their original family. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of like cats like to do that. Like I think if I opened the door, he would come in my house. Mm-hmm. But um, I've named him Friday. So he's That's my outdoor cute. cat now. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And then I got my second vaccine to... <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tell that story. Yo, it was awful. So I got my second dose on Wednesday, and I felt completely fine. I actually was, like, energetic. I got a ton of stuff done that day. I wasn't tired like I was when I got the first one. And then I rolled over at 1 in the morning and felt like I was dying. (laughs) Oof. I was just like, what's happening? So I took off and I like wrote sub plans at 3 fucking a.m. And then I couldn't go back to sleep. Like I was just awake because everything hurt. Do you feel like you had the flu? Like what did it feel like? What were your symptoms? It felt like the the flu. Like I was – the worst part of it was how nauseated I was. Like I was just – it was that kind of nausea, you know, that sits at the bottom of your throat. Yeah. And I was just like all day, like awful – my joint pain got really bad at the end of the day. Like, I was crying. Like, it was bad. Oh, my God. I, here's the thing, though. Like, I don't think it would have been as bad if I could take painkillers. But all I can take yeah. is fucking Tylenol, which doesn't do anything. And so yeah. everyone kept texting me and was like, are you taking ibuprofen? And I was like, I can't take ibuprofen. That sucks. Yeah, you just have so, to deal with it. Yeah, but I took two days off work. And, like, in the middle of the day yesterday, it just went away. And I was fine. Like, it just dispersed. Oh, my gosh. Bean. Who's that? Bean, bean, bean. Let me go grab him. Hold on. It's just a madhouse over here. <laughs> oh, Bean. But yeah, so like randomly in the middle of the day yesterday, I just felt fine. But it was rough stuff for a while there. So you felt sick for like one and a half days? Mm-hmm. I think that's like what happened to Brock. Like he felt like he had the flu. He had like fever dreams. I think it was like one or two days. 
Yep. I knew it was bad when I took a nap and I felt worse when I woke up than when I fell asleep. And I was like, cool. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. The flu sucks. Yeah, man. And I think, like, I know know at least four people who got the shot that day that were all sick. Like, we all got sick. Yeah. It seems like it's pretty common. And I wonder, I don't know, I haven't looked into it, but is that... Like, is your response to the vaccine, like, what your response to COVID would be? Like, is that what COVID feels like? I don't know. I know they say your response to it is different if you had COVID or not. Like, it's better or worse? I did not read. I just know they think there's a difference. And apparently the side effects are worse for younger people than they are for older people. Really? Yeah. So... I don't know. Science. I I don't understand it. (laughs) I was very haughty. Let me tell you, though, because like Mm -hmm. the person I went and got the shot with, they started feeling shitty before I did. And I was like, I feel fine. I'm great. I'm going to work tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. No. But everyone was super nice. Somebody from work brought me Gatorade and chocolate, which was very sweet. That's so nice. I know. I was like, you really don't have to. I can DoorDash it. And she was like, no, I'm going to Walmart and then I'm coming to you. And I was like, okay. And it was so, it helped so much. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure like Gatorade is like really good to be drinking when you feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was told to buy some beforehand and I didn't and then I regretted it. So. Well, congratulations on being vaccinated. I don't know when Thanks. I'm going to be vaccinated. <laughs> Man, what a, hopefully by the time you get vaccinated, you can just get the Johnson and Johnson one and just one yeah. and done. I'm, I don't know. I think, like, Oklahoma, like, a lot of places is having a lot of issues with it. It's going to be a while, I think. Yeah. Well, that's what's been going on with me. That's pretty much been my week. Shall we move on to our topic of notable black Americans? Yes. Who went first last week? I think I did. All right. Then I'll go first this week. So my person that I'm going to talk about is Phyllis Wheatley. I don't Have you know ever who heard? that is, no. Okay, so Phyllis Wheatley is the first black woman to ever, just in general, publish a book of poems. Really? Yes. I also read that somewhere huh. that she was the first person, like, black woman to publish a book, but I couldn't back that up. I know she's the first to um, publish a book of poems, so we're just going to go with that. That's cool. Um, she is the second woman ever to do it. To publish, so. oh, a book of poems. Like the first yes. was a white woman and then she did it. Yes. Okay. Um, so I got my information from a lot of places, actually. Uh, the National Women's History Museum, which was, that article was edited by Deborah Michaels. Um, the Poetry Foundation and then Wikipedia. Okay. Um, so Phyllis Whit- Wheatley was... Born in 1753, they think-ish. And most likely, I mean, she was from West Africa, so probably like Gambia slash Senegal area. Um, She was captured by enslavers and brought to America in 1767. So she was like between seven and nine years old, more likely around like She was a slave brought over by the trade. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so she was brought on a refugee ship, which basically means that, like, those on board uh, were either, like, disabled or sick or whatever, um, and therefore could not endure harsh conditions that they would have seen in, like, the South or the Caribbean, which is where most slave ships went first. Hmm. Um, so, um, that's why she ended up in in Boston. I didn't know that was a Uh, thing. Like, why would they mm -hmm. take people who have conditions? Just they would take whoever they could? Yeah, they yeah. probably cheap, cheap. Okay. Um. So she was sold to the Wheatley family from Boston. Um. She was sick when she arrived. Uh. She was described as, and this is quoted, of slender frame and evidently suffering from a change of climate, nearly naked, with no other covering than a quantity of dirty carpet about her, Oof. to be about seven years old from the circumstances of shedding her front teeth. Oh, my God. Yeah. She had, like, really bad asthma her entire life, so. Just a little um, kid. Yeah. Uh, And this fact that I'm about to read you made me so fucking infuriated. 
I, I like read it and just kind of sat here for a second, but she was named after the ship that brought her, the Phyllis. Oof. They named her after her slave ship. That's all kinds of fucked up. I read that and I was just like, well, that's the most fucking depressing thing I've yeah, ever read. That's gross. But anyway, so obviously because of the fact that she was in Boston, she's not going to experience the same slave experience that a lot of people did that I think we think of when mm-hmm. we think of the slave experience in America. Um, even for like where she was, she's not going to have the same experience. Um, so her family like pretty much right away started educating her, which was very unusual. Um, so she was educated by the family. They had a son and a daughter. They both were involved with her education. Um, and within 16 months of arriving in America, she could read the Bible. She could read like all the Greek and Latin classics like Virgil and Homer and all of that. Wait, within she was reading how with- long of arriving? 16 months. And she was so eight. <laughs> She's like really smart. Wow. Okay. Um, she was reading like British, British literature. Uh, I wrote down she was one smart cookie. Yeah. Um, she started studying other objects. Or, I can't talk today. Started <laughs> studying other subjects when she was around like 14. So like astronomy and geography. Um, and she published her uh, first poem in 1767. They think she was writing poems before that. Um, but that's the first like published one. Um, and then she published an elegiac poem on the death of the celebrated divine George Whitefield in 1770. Uh, which made her really famous. Uh, George Whitefield was like a prominent um, minister, like evangelist during the time, um, during the First Great Awakening. So, so she would have been like a teenager at that time? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Um, so she wrote a lot of elegies, um, and this was like just her first big one. Uh, so they tried to publish her poems here, like in a book, but they couldn't find the support for it. So in 1773, she went to London, still as a slave, technically, um, with the Wheatley son, partially because she was really sick, but mostly to just, um, like, get around, um, try and get her book published. So she went with the support of the English Countess of Huntington, who she actually never even ends up meeting, um, mostly because she was really sick the whole time they were were there so she was like supposed to meet the king when she was there but she didn't end up doing it um mostly again because she was pretty sick the whole time she was there um but she did meet a bunch of famous abolitionists and other figures while she was in england she met ben franklin um and really made the rounds it seemed like she had a pretty sorry were these like wheatley's were they like well-connected people i'm just trying to figure out like how this would happen yeah and they were like very progressive far as one could be at the time because this would probably be wait okay late 1700s so not quite i think like around the civil war was like the alcott's like nathaniel hawthorne like thoreau like all those people this was um like around when the stamp act and the boston massacre and all that was going on okay all right continue she's like ripe in revolutionary america okay Um, So she meets a bunch of famous people, and she does get her first book of poems, poems on various subjects, religious and moral, published. Um, She actually had to go to fucking court to prove that it was her who wrote it. Um, And a bunch of, like, really prominent Bostonians were put in charge of, like, figuring out that it was her that wrote it. Um, And the foreword of the book actually ended up being all of them signing and saying, yes, she wrote this. (laughs) And they included, like, a picture of her to be like, this is her. This is who wrote this shit. Um, so, yeah. Oh. Um, she is emancipated pretty quickly after that. And then all of the Wheatleys pretty much die right after that. Um, so she, I felt bad for her because I think a lot of the support she received was because she was a slave. Like, to some degree, people found it, like... Mm -hmm. Like a good movement kind of thing? Yeah, and, like, kind of saw it as, like... I don't know. It wasn't the same for them once she wasn't a slave anymore. Um, Um, Yeah, so I think she lost a lot of support when she was emancipated. And then all the people who had been supporting her, like the Wheatleys, all fucking died. Um, So she... Yeah. 
1778, she marries a free black man named John Peters from Boston. I didn't read a lot of great things about him, but at the end of the day, it wasn't easy to be a black man in 1700s America. Um, So I don't know how much I should take all of that in seriousness. Uh, He ends up getting, like, imprisoned for debt. She can't get a second book published. She ends up being, like, a scrub woman slash scullery maid at a boarding house to try and support her family. All of her kids die as children. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I know. (laughs) And then she died in 1784 due to complications from childbirth. So the tilt end of her life, not great. Um... But if we talk about her poetry, which I read a bunch of her poems, and you know I don't yes. like poetry very much. Do you have a quote for me? A quote for us? I do have a few. Yes. So her poems were about a lot of things in, like, her life. So she wrote about the things that inspired her, like people she studied, like Alexander Pope and Thomas Gray. Um, a lot of her poems showed a lot of pride in being African. Like, a lot of her stuff I read, definitely it was there. Um, She wrote very much in the elegy style. I think it said a third of her poems are elegies. Um, What's an elegy? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Elegy, like a a poem, like, memorializing someone who died. Okay. That's like, okay. Like a eulogy, but a poem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I guess in Africa, it was the role of girls to sing and perform funeral dirges. So that's probably why she was so attached to it. Um, she wrote a lot of couplets, some in iambic pentameter, some in the heroic style, just depended. Um, a lot of religion in her work. Um, a lot of Protestants in America really celebrated her work. And this, like, enslavers would use her work to convert enslaved people to Christianity. Yeah. Where an abolitionist would use it to prove the intellectual capabilities of black people. So it was really used on both ends of the spectrum. Um, she supported the Patriot cause in the Revolutionary War, but it definitely came in a like, point in her life where she was really pushing more and more against slavery. Uh, she wrote a lot about it. Um, basically, she said that, like, colonists will never achieve true heroism while there is slavery. Um, she wrote about George Washington being appointed general of the Continental Army. I was going to read that poem, but it was too long. Um, but it was nice. She ended up corresponding with him and, like, meeting him at one point. And then I have, like, a really nasty quote from Thomas fucking Jefferson. Okay. This son of a bitch. God, the more I learn about Jefferson, I'm just like, you piece of shit. Um, okay, so this is from his notes on the state of Virginia, um, 1781. He said, I just, coming from a person who fucking owned slaves and was fucking his slaves. Yeah. Anyway. Misery is often the parent of the most affecting touches in poetry. Among the blacks is misery enough. God knows, but no poetry. Love is the peculiar ostrum of the poet. Their love is ardent, but it kindles the senses only, not the imagination. Religion indeed has produced a Phyllis Wheatley, but it could not produce a poet. The compositions published under her name are below the dignity of criticism. Go fuck yourself. Ew. Ugh, the more I learn about Thomas Jefferson. You know, it's like, you can, especially, like, you can think that, but to, like, write that is, you know, and think that that's, like, a smart, good thing to say, you know, it's just weird. And I read her poems. They're great. Go shut up. So, um, anyway... I have her poem that she wrote about King George when he repealed the Stamp Act. Okay. (laughs) I found it kind of... Like a political commentator. Yeah, she, like, wrote a lot of stuff. I read... And she wrote about, like, all over the place. Like, I read one where she was writing when she was sailing to England. She wrote a poem to Neptune about, like, the seas and, like, her journey. So she wrote, like, all over the place. She's Um, very well read. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is about him repealing the monarch or the Stamp Act. And I thought it was kind of funny because obviously I knew it was going to follow this shit, but Uh she didn't. (laughs) Um, So your subjects hope, dear dread sire, the crown upon your brows may flourish long and that your arm may in your God be strong. 
Oh, may your scepter numerous nations sway, and all with love and readiness obey. And how shall we the British king reward? Rule thou in peace our father and our lord. Midst the remembrance of thy favors past, the meanest peasants most admire the last, the last being the repeal of the Stamp Act. May George, beloved by all the nations round, live with heaven's choicest constant blessings crowned. Great God, direct and guard him from on high, and from his head let every evil fly. And may each climb with equal gladness see a monarch smile can set his subjects free. Petty, petty, petty. (laughs) I love it. Love it. She had one called just like America. It was really long, but it's good. You should read it. She was like it was shade uh, before throwing shade was a thing. <laughs> it's interesting too to like read some of her stuff because she definitely reflects like a very, very, very British attitude. Mm. Like she like really celebrates Britannia and all of these things, and I don't know. It's interesting, but we also know I'm not the greatest understanding of poetry so you might get something different out of these than i do um okay so she did she actually work as a slave it almost kind of seems like the family not really bought her to like i don't know like help her make a statement or something so she did like some minor things but i think they kind of once they realized how smart she was Because I'm sure they made money off her in that regard. Like, I don't know how much of her money she was allowed to keep. So, um, you know. Yeah. And how old was she when she died? 31. Wow, that's so young. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's one of those people that I think reached this, like, pinnacle and then kind of died. Mm Mm-hmm. In a less than, it reminds me of Thomas Paine. Like, if you ever read about what happened to Thomas Paine, like, for somebody so revered, Thomas Paine died in, like, complete destitution. Like, America had, like, turned their back on him, basically. Um, I forget what he wrote about. He wrote about, like, I want to say, like, atheism or something. And America was like, and we done with you. Um, But just for somebody so revered, like, him and, like, her, like, just... They did not end well. The populace is fickle, man. They really are. Why did why did we Oh yeah, he went after Christianity and then America was like mm. Yeah. Yeah. He also like got really involved in the French Revolution and got like arrested and shit. Oh Thomas. He seems like he had oh, an Phyllis. interesting life. <laughs> yeah. So who knows what she might have achieved if people had, you know, continued to fucking support her. I mean, I think that kind of shows also just being a woman, especially like a black woman at that time, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're up against in terms of like your life expectancy and your like health care you get. Yeah. And this is, you know, pre like full scale abolition in the north. So and pre people knowing what germs are by like a long ass time. (laughs) Yeah, man. So, I don't know. That's Phyllis Wheatley. She's super cool. Super smart lady. She did a lot of stuff in her short life. More than I've done. Yeah, for real. It makes me feel like we need a, I need to get my shit together. Yeah, she gets quoted a lot when we talk about, like, unique supporters of the revolution outside of white dudes. You mm-hmm. see her a lot. That's cool. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I know about her now. Phyllis Wheatley. I'll have to look up. Are there, like, drawings of her? Like, paintings or mm-hmm. sketches? Cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would say she was probably the most well-known black yeah. person in the 1700s. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. Are you ready for my person? I'm ready. Okay, so last week I had given you a couple hints. Let's go over those hints again. This person was at Frederick Douglass's <laughs> speech. That made me feel like a student in a classroom. Yeah. Let's go over it again. Let's Ready. think back. I'm putting on my teacher hat. You said Frederick Douglass gave a speech 10 years after the Civil War ended commemorating mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln. This mm-hmm. person was there as a 10-year-old. 
and was this was like a profound moment in his life. Um, he's from Maryland. He was born in Maryland. Okay. And I feel like I can't give you any more hints, but I only really knew about this person because when I taught, we would read like articles about him, but I never learned about him anywhere else. It's going to bother me that I can't come up with this answer. So he was 10 Uh in 1875. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's from Maryland. Yes. What? Uh, can I know other clues? Like, not like politics or anything. Is he an inventor? No. Is he a writer? No. He's an explorer. Is- did he go to the Arctic? He did. That's my only. I don't know their <laughs> name, but I know someone went to the Arctic. His name is Matthew Henson, and he was okay. the first, arguably debated, the first person at the North Pole as a black man. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So let me tell I you. I can't imagine bit. going to the North Pole in the I 1800s. Know. <laughs> I know. And it took them like no. eight expeditions to do it. All right. Tell me about it. Okay. So, Matthew Henson was born, like, right after the Civil War ended in Maryland in, oh, I forget the town. It was this little place. It's, like, in the south of Maryland on the eastern part of the Potomac. Um, And his parents, before the Civil War, were freed black people, but they were sharecroppers, like, after the Civil War. And there was, like... Yeah, like Should we all... explain what sharecropping is? Why don't you explain what sharecropping is? So sharecropping is the shady fucking shit that people <laughs> did to keep former slaves on plantations where basically you would sign a contract and you would say, okay, I have X amount of land to farm. I will give this amount of my product to the person who owns this land in order to pay off this you know, rent, whatever. But then they would also charge you for, like, the seeds, and they would also charge you to use, like, the cotton gin and all this Mm. shit. So basically you would be so in debt that you could never actually get off the farm. Or they would, like, pay you – they would pay you in this, like, made-up currency that you could only purchase things in at the store of your employer Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's, like, basically a way to oppress people. It's, like, new slavery. Yeah, man. So – his parents were sharecroppers and there was like all this KKK bullshit happening and like other white supremacist groups. So they moved to Georgetown due to the racial violence. Um, and I guess this was like before, was this before Washington DC was the capital? Kind no. Of s- oh, okay. I don't know. But his parents died when he was young and then he went to live with his uncle and then his uncle also died. Um, right. And then he went to that ceremony and he heard Frederick Douglass speak where he's Frederick Douglass is like, go forth and like be inspiring and like do cool shit. And he's like, okay, I can do cool shit. I got you, Freddie D. I got you. (laughs) So he made his way to Baltimore at the age of 12. I don't know how. Oh my god! <laughs> people, I, some people just like find ways to do things. I don't know. Like, I, can you imagine being twelve and like no. making your way to Baltimore? I would have definitely got taken in by some shyster, like an Oliver. Like, yeah, like for real. But I guess like he was like around the harbor, and he started working on a ship, and as like this young boy, and the captain—I forget his name. I should looked it up, but. The captain really liked him and taught him how to read and write. And he, like, learned how to navigate and, like, all these skills. So that was cool. And then he, I think he started working in, like, a shop or something in Baltimore. And Robert Perry came in and met him and learned of his experience. Yeah. Robert Perry, it was his expedition that went to the North Pole. And he's the one who, like, gets the credit. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So Robert Perry met a young Matthew Henson and was like, 
hey, you're cool, you're smart, like, come with me, and we'll go to Nicaragua and, like, do these, like, I don't know, cool expeditions down there. Wait, how old is he? (laughs) I think he was, like, yeah, okay. I don't know, young, teenager, I think. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, they, like, went to Nicaragua, and I guess, like, Perry really liked him, and so they started – going on these expeditions to the Arctic and they went on all these expeditions over 20 years and it took eight expeditions for them to like actually get there. Um, That's but, like dedication, especially cause there's nothing at the fucking North pole. Like you get there. It's just like snow. <laughs> and how hard would it be? Like how annoying, inconvenient for me. I'm like, how inconvenient to be in the arctic and then like at this time especially but i guess like matthew henson was really helpful on all these expeditions because he learned the inuit language so he was like a translator and he like learned how to build the igloos and i guess he was like the only person who could really drive the dog sleds like an inuit so like he earned like the inuit respect and stuff like that's cool So he was good at all of that. Um, So in 1908 through 1909 was Perry's eighth attempt at going to the North Pole. And they had like a ton of people, a ton of supplies. But I guess for like the last leg of it, like to get to the actual pole, there were only six of them. So there was Matthew Henson, Perry, and then there were four like Inuit guide helper people. And I guess at that point, Perry was riding a dog sled because he was like, I don't know, injured or tired or something. Of course Um, he was. Yeah. So Matthew Henson went with the Inuits, the Inuit guides like up and he supposedly was like the first person to actually get there and like plant the flag, which is like pretty cool. But it's questioned whether they actually made it there or not. Um, in 1989, this dude, Wally Herbert, like looked at their documentation and he thought that they made geographic errors or they didn't quite make it. So I don't know. I feel like that ruin shit. It's close enough. Right. Like, yeah, like, okay. (laughs) I think it counts. Like, fuck you. (laughs) Ruin everything. Right. Like, I don't know. But, of course, like, after this, Perry was honored. He gets all the credit. Matthew Henson is, like, largely ignored because of his, like, race. Um, But he started gaining more, like, recognition. He knew Teddy Roosevelt, which I feel like we could do a whole episode about Teddy Roosevelt. Yo. (laughs) Right? (laughs) This is 100% aside. But if you ever want to read about an interesting person... You should read about Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, Alice. I think she is so cool. I talk about her all the time because I just think she was so cool. Didn't she have like a weird pet at the White House? Yeah, she had. What did she have? (sighs) She had like a lizard or like a like a exotic bird or something. (laughs) And she used to like smoke on the roof of the White House and, like, people used to talk to Teddy Roosevelt about her, and Teddy Roosevelt would be like, look, I can run the country, or I can control Alice. I yeah. cannot do both of those things. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Oh, and Teddy Roosevelt's just fun. Mm-hmm. We should talk about him, because there's, I mean, the some people live such colorful lives, and he is one of those people. He is the definition of living a colorful yeah. life. Like, he used to just go, like, fuck around South America. <laughs> Yeah, we should definitely return to him. But, I mean, I don't remember what I read, but I wrote down that he knew Teddy Roosevelt. Um, And then he eventually was getting recognition, I guess, within, like, black communities. And he eventually was invited to, like, an Explorers Club, which is some, like, prestigious shit. It is. In, like, New York City. Like, he, I think, was maybe the first black person to be invited and he became an honorary member which is like a big fucking deal that's so cool 
which it reminds me of in the Golden Compass when like Mrs. Coulter would take Lyra to like the Explorers Lounge and they would talk to like Explorers. Like that's what I picture. Side note, 100% side note, but have you watched that show on HBO? I watched the first season and I liked it. I need to watch the next one. I haven't watched it yet. I feel like maybe I want to reread before I watch. I liked it and I love the books, obviously. Um, Yeah, I think it does a good job. Okay. Anyway, back to Matthew. So he... Oh, and I got my information from Wikipedia. And then I also watched this video on YouTube from this channel called Black Excellist, which was, like, really good. And they have more information than I'm saying. So you should watch that video. It's only 15 minutes long. But he apparently was married, like, twice. Like, he got divorced in 1897, which I think is, like, really unusual. Ballsy. Right? But he got married a second time. And I think this is important to say, like, I don't know how problematic this is, but I guess he and Perry on all their expeditions would take what they called, quote, country wives. Like, Inuit women. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think we should... You know, when we talk about these people, not, like, deify them, you know? We should talk about that they're real people and they're not flawless and, Mm -hmm. you know. But his only descendants come from a son he had with an Alaskan woman, Inuit woman. I don't know how to say this. A Katingwan. He had a son named Anaukak, born in 1906. He never saw him after 1909. Um, but he has descendants now, and I guess it's, like, a thing. And, like, mm-hmm. he has a lot of descendants. And he is related to Taraji P. Henson. Is that her That's name? cool. Yeah. Right? The actress I who's love on, her. like, Empire and, like, other stuff. She was on Person of Interest. Yeah. So he... Oh, he's a brother of her great-great-grandfather. And he wrote an autobiography that's called A Negro Explorer at the North Pole. Autobiography of Matthew Henson. I would read that. Maybe the audiobook, because I have a hard time with nonfiction, (laughs) but... And there was um, this dude, I didn't write down his name who like was really interested in his story and then he went and found his descendants and he made this documentary about Matthew Henson and Perry and their descendants called North Pole Legacy Black White and Eskimo in 1991. Hmm. All right. So yeah. I like that one. What a cool person. He died in 1955 at the age of 88. Wow. I will say it was not unusual for explorers back in the day who worked with Native peoples to be fucking a lot of Native peoples. Right. Lewis and Clark did a lot of that. I think, yeah, like at the time it came along with the territory of being an explorer or a missionary. That's like what men did. Well, and I also think, and this isn't to excuse, I'm definitely not excusing, but I think dependent on the people, sometimes it was, like, part of their culture, too, Mm -hmm. as, like, a welcoming, like, kind of thing. That's why it's hard, like, when I said it, I didn't know how to really bring it up. Like, again, I don't know how problematic it is. I don't know, like, if these women, like, documented their experiences or what it was like, but that was all I really saw about it, so... Yeah, it's like you definitely don't hear those sides of things when we talk about these people. Like, you never hear about Lewis and Clark, like, literally fucking anything yeah. that would move. Like, they definitely did. And, like, you don't hear about, like, the fact that Sacagawea was definitely, like, sold into her marriage, like, 100%. Yeah, which it's like a, um, I don't know, like a, what's the word? Where you, like, you want to, like, is it relevant to their accomplishments? But if you're talking about this person as a whole, you need to talk about the person Mm -hmm. as a whole. I think we need to stop 
looking at people from the aspect of like they can do no wrong like people do wrong yeah like look at fucking thomas jefferson i can Mm -hmm. still appreciate the things he did for our country and think he was a complete and utter piece of shit like it's (laughs) yeah i think we need to not look at people like thomas jefferson like heroes almost like like we call them founding fathers almost like this religious kind of father Mm -hmm. but they're problematic real people of their times i got really mad at work i was talking to the other social studies teacher and she was like i'm we're i don't know what we're talking about like just how trash people can be i guess Mm -hmm. and she was like i mean there's really not anybody in american history like around this time period that was like what we would consider to be a good person and i was just like there's got to be somebody and she was like, there's not. Not that we're at least involved in politics. And hmm. it's really not. We came up with, like, Daniel Webster was kind of like, all right. Who's Daniel Webster? Like, the dictionary he was a, guy? No, a different guy. <laughs> he was um, he was a senator who, like, I spoke th- out against slavery. I think the problem is, like, if we're learning about people from several hundred years ago, they're people of influence of and power and when you're in that position you are probably doing shady shit too because power Mm -hmm. corrupts it really does absolutely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's part of like looking at history with context i like to look at it if people in the time period also got disgusted with you it's okay for me to be fucking disgusted with you (laughs) and some people really got disgusted with thomas jefferson so i feel fine with it Well, and I think when we acknowledge those things, we're acknowledging the untold side of the story, like you're saying Mm -hmm. with the enslaved people that he was raping, you know, like their story is important, too. It is. And it doesn't fucking get told. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I liked both. I liked learning about Phyllis Wheatley. I never heard about her before. And I like Matthew Henson. I'm going to actually probably look him up when we're done talking. Yeah. I'm going to look him up now. I want to see his face. What do you look like, Matthew? Matthew? I think he's a good-looking guy. (laughs) Is it Henson, like Jim Henson? Yes. Well, that's been our exciting conclusion to uh, Black History Month. Thank you for joining us. What should we talk about next week? Um, let's do Badass Ladies. All right. Badass ladies of history. Yeah, part two. Excellent. Well, I guess we'll see you all next week. Have a lovely first week of March. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on all of the things, please. Do all the things. Subscribe. um, And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.